This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. College football previews continue here on Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network YouTube channel. We look at the American Conference. That's right, the American, the first group of five, or we could say the Power Six. However, I think on their yard markers, they even have like P6 and stuff like that. But uh, a great, uh, great wealth of knowledge we have here today. Bruce Marshall, the gold sheet. Bruce, how are you? Hey, pretty good, uh, Jimmy. And Paul Stone, one of the most respected, one of the most feared sports bettors <laughs> and college football spe- uh, bettors in uh, Las Vegas, uh, out of Texas. Great, great stuff. Paul, how are you? Just glad to be on with you guys. I think this is the last Saturday uh, of the calendar year that we'll not have college football. So we're getting close, guys. Uh, an exciting yes. time. Yes, indeed. And, and, and Paul, you, you do think there's a little bit of an edge here on some of these win totals as opposed to grind it out during the football season. Uh, it, it, it expound upon that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we have to pick our strengths or, or the things that we're comfortable with and, and also to find our bankroll, you know, our, our, our portfolio and how we're going to structure it. And certainly a lot of my portfolio is going to be uh, – regular season win totals, uh, betting week one games early, as early as uh, early May, I think this year was the case, and then betting games of the year throughout the year. So right now I think I have about 75 tickets, and certainly I would say about 20 of those are regular season win totals. Brucey, Cincinnati last year, I, I hit that 14-1. to 1. Uh, I was riding it all last offseason. I love their team coming back. Best team ever. I think that's a safe bet uh, for the program's history. Uh, Luke Fickle, uh, there's some continuity. He has stayed there. They have improved their facilities. Their recruiting is built. But, uh, you know, life after, you know, first of all, you're, you're our best historian, but Cincinnati, best team ever, that team last year. But also, how do they recover? And, um, you know, just, a, just a, a, a unique spot for Cincinnati to crack the college football playoff. Yeah, it is. And since he, like a few of these other teams in the league here, is going to be moving in the near future uh, to the Big 12. So that's another dynamic we have to think about this year. Nine guys got drafted off of that Cincy team last year. That is kind of odd for Cincy to have that many guys taken in the NFL. So it's going to be a a little bit of a bumpy transition because usually you can't fill in that quick. Even at a big school, it's a little hard to fill in nine guys who get drafted. However, Luke Fickle has done a magnificent job, 44 wins over the last four years. So it had been building up to last year. He's got to replace his quarterback. We know about that. But the most important thing is he wants to stay there. Listen, he's got five or six kids. They're all in school. His wife doesn't want to leave. He was USC's first choice by Mike Bond, the AD, who used to be at Cincy, came to USC. First call was to Fickle from what we hear, and Luke didn't want to go. He's anchored there. We think the only job he might eventually move for is Ohio State, unless perhaps Notre Dame opens. So Cincy is in a really good position and ready to move into a much bigger league in the very near future. Paul, let's uh, let's stake with the Bearcats and uh, their win total at Bet Rivers is nine and a half. Um, you look at their preseason, uh, you know, for first, second, and third all conference teams, three offensive linemen and the tight end all on the first team preseason uh, American Conference team. The tight end could have uh, could have been the tenth player drafted uh, last year as well. But who is going to start at quarterback? And life after such a successful season, how do you see the Bearcats this season? Well, it's going to be interesting. Like Bruce pointed out, I mean, I think almost equally as impressive as them making the college football playoff was the fact they had a school record nine players selected in the NFL draft. Uh, Six of those players uh, were defensive players. 
a uh, number of those a uh, number of those players taken in the first three rounds. And as you mentioned, they lose their uh, quarterback, uh, multi-year starter uh, Desmond Ritter, uh, forty-four and six there at Cincinnati as a starter. And I think uh, you know the the clear in my mind the clear starter is going to be uh, Ritter's former backup Ben Bryant. Uh, it's been well chronicled that Bryant seeing. Uh, that he was going to be behind uh, Ritter there at Cincinnati, transferred to Eastern Michigan, started last year in the MAC, threw for over 3,100 yards, had a 14-7 to touchdown to interception ratio. So he's a known commodity. He's an experienced quarterback. He's been in the system. He was obviously recruited there by Luke Fickle. So I think Ben Bryant's going to be the guy. They've lost, you know, they lose a 1,300-yard rusher in Jerome Ford. They lose their top receiver and Alex Pierce. They lose all the guys uh, on defense, some of which were first-round picks. I think uh, Sauce Gardner, the fourth overall pick in the draft. But you mentioned the one um, strong position area, and it's a great place to be strong, that the Bearcats do have strength and experience is that offensive line. So that will give Bryant or whomever the starting quarterback is a uh, sense of comfort and a little more ease to operate uh, and get accustomed to being the main man for the Bearcats. So when you have an offensive line that has that kind of experience, even though the losses are significant with Cincinnati, uh, that's something to hang your hat on. So I don't have a strong opinion on Cincinnati's uh, win total. There's just so much changeover, so many new faces, but it'll be interesting to watch the Bearcats. Uh, Bruce, uh, they will be underdog six and a half from the opener uh, in Fayetteville against Arkansas. That trip to Orlando will be a very tight spread. Uh, they do escape playing Houston. Houston escapes playing them uh, as well. Uh, Cincinnati, you 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 lean toward the over at nine and a half. Yeah, even though I think they're going to probably lose that game to Arkansas, uh, like you mentioned, plus six and a half in that opener against the Razorbacks. So I, you know that would get them off on the wrong foot. But Paul mentioned an important thing. Uh, that offensive line's got all five starters back. That's going to be a plus. And Bryant is not inexperienced, like Paul mentioned. I mean, he played at Eastern Michigan last year, very productive there, has been at Cincinnati before. So I think that will work out pretty good. My one concern about Cincy, though, I mean, last year, if you look at them, this was a top-five turnover margin team last year, and a lot of those turnovers came at big moments of games, including that last regular season game against East Carolina. Very deceiving score, but it was, again, the special teams made the big play. They did that all season long, and some of those guys, including Sauce Gordon, who went to the NFL, were really important as far as making those big momentum-changing plays on the defensive side. So, uh, Plus, they were top-five uh, turnover team last year. If they can maintain that and stay opportunistic, I think it will help. But I do think, for the most part, they've outclassed this league. Um, and last year, they beat South, uh, beat UCF by uh, uh, five touchdowns. So uh, I think they are the class of the league. And I think there's a better chance they probably get over that nine. Uh, that's not my favorite call on the American here. But it, it just where Fickle's got this program, I, I think they're just uh, they're the team to beat in the league. Yeah, I don't see a whole lot of competitive games uh, on their schedule. Not my favorite. Uh, again, a program is this this is it's historic uh, losses uh, in the draft so we'll see how that affects them but uh I still think they're going to be very strong. Just a flip-flop. You know, against Bama, they were speed-wise, they were fine. On the outside, they were fine. In the trenches is where Bama had the big advantage, but they didn't embarrass themselves. Bama has beaten teams way worse in a college football playoff than what they beat Cincinnati, even though they covered the spread. Let's move to Houston. 12-win season last year for the Houston Cougars, and they were very competitive versus Cincinnati. Brutal Fourth down in, uh, interference call at 14-13 early in the second half, and that set off a big third quarter for the, the Bearcats, and Houston was out of it. Tune, 35-44 yards through the air, 30 TDs and 10 interceptions. And How about this receiver, though? Nathaniel Dell, 90 catches last year. He is back, uh, 1,329 yards and 12 TDs. So that the top passing-catching combination is back uh, in the American um, the uh, and they also picked up another wide receiver in the transfer portal. Um, they did lose their running back in, during spring uh, to an injury. And McCaskill, a thousand yard rusher from a year ago. They need to rebuild the offensive line. No Cincinnati and no Central Florida on the schedule again for the Houston Cougars. Paul, well, you know they've got an interesting start. I mean, you know they they begin the season at uh, Texas San Antonio. And then they play at Texas Tech the, the second week of the season. And, you know, the Roadrunners 
are really going to be uh, primed to play the Houston Cougars. Uh, but as you mentioned, they do have one of the most experienced quarterbacks in the league in Clayton Toon. Uh, he started 31 games there uh, for head coach uh, Dane, Dana Hogerson. Uh, he has thrown the same number of interceptions, though, 31 uh, in his career as games he has started. So he's got to take – they do you know, they do throw the ball a lot, but he does turn the ball over a little bit more than I like. You did mention the return uh, of his primary number one receiver, Nathaniel Dale, who caught 90 balls last year, one of the top returning receivers in all of uh, college football. McCaskill's uh, injury certainly does hurt, lost uh, for the season to an ACL. Uh, Henry, uh, other running back last year, I think he gained about 600 or 700 yards. So he has played, so that does help. Defensively, the Cougars returned six starters, uh, 10 of uh, ten players on defense who actually played 200 or more snaps last year. So they have a number uh, of returning players on defense with experience. I am concerned, though, some of the people they lost are what I call playmakers. Uh, they lose their defensive end. Uh, Logan Hall had six and a half sacks and seven tackles for loss last year. He was actually the first pick of the second round in this past spring's NFL draft. So he was the 33rd overall pick uh, of the Buccaneers. And then the standout uh, cornerback tandem of Marcus Jones and Damarian Williams. Marcus Jones, nine kickoff returns for touchdowns, (coughs) excuse me, during his career there at Houston. So he's a big loss as well. Regroup, Paul. Go ahead, baby. You got a lot of data you're spitting out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hey, um, I'm finished. If you guys are ready, to, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I kind of my throat. Hey, yeah, it's, it's, my throat kind of got the, um, me there, so I, I decided I was at a good cutoff point. Marcus Jones, though, as I was saying at the end, guy returned nine touchdowns for kickoffs during his uh, for uh, nine kicks for touchdowns during his career. And one particularly that I remember last year because I had SMU, uh, after SMU had tied it late in that game, the final Saturday in October, Marcus Jones takes the ensuing kickoff back for a touchdown uh, in the final seconds, and Houston wins that game. Right. A big-time player, a big-time loss. He also intercepted five passes last year. So the loss of Hall, the defensive end, and Jones, the cornerback on defense, pretty big losses at the first and third level of the Cougars' stop unit. Bruce, not a huge opinion for you on this Houston nine and a half. They're plus two fifty also to win the conference. Yeah, I, I was like a Paul when Marcus Jones returned that kickoff against SMU because I had SMU too, so I was kind of coughing myself when 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 that happened. I, I'll say this though, Dana, it it last year it finally happened for Dana. There, uh, they finally uh, made the breakthrough a lot of people expected. I'm a little concerned the schedule at the start. Paul mentioned that. Uh, UTSA game right off the bat. Texas Tech is a team uh, that beat them last year. That comes up in week two. I don't know that Kansas is going to be as easy game as people think either in week three. So the schedule's a little bit bumpy at the start. One thing, though, I mean, they have been rolling out NFL draft picks on the defensive line for a while. I think Derek Parrish is going to be another one. He's their top defensive end this year. This team did have 45 sacks last year, and Paul mentioned they lost their top pass uh, rusher in the draft, but they're still pretty loaded up front, and they've been doing this for a while. This is a real defense, too. We talk about Dana, his offense, Clayton Toon, and Dell, but they played some defense last year, too, and they were another team that was up there in turnover margin as well, so... Uh, they do a lot of things right. I'm more to an over than an under here, but I'm not too bold on that. Not too bullish because that schedule worries me a little bit at the start. Even though they don't, uh, they miss Cincinnati uh, this year, like you said, and they miss UCF. There's a couple of uh, uh, speed bumps there right off the bat that could uh, could throw them off track. Texas Tech did beat them last year in the opener. Remember, both of you uh, mentioned those two openers, September third at uh, Texas San Antonio. They have another good team. Uh, Houston is five and a half. Uh, against the Roadrunners there. And then in Lubbock, they are plus four and a half. So um, one score lines there, sort of some 50-50 games, key games uh, for that nine and a half win total for the Houston Cougars. Move on to Central Florida. Central Florida, um, Dylan Gabriel got hurt early. Now he's transferred out, but they did get uh, some work in for the backup last year. And Keene, John Reese Plumley has uh, transferred from Ole Miss to uh, Central Florida after playing a couple years at wide receiver. Uh, Lane Kiffin wanted more of a passer. They have 14 returning starters, and they have some transfer portal additions. Uh, But still you wonder about that transition from Heupel to Malzahn. Stylistically, that's a big transition. 
Plumley, I think, is a guy that uh, has Gus Malzahn really excited. Talked to my uh, favorite uh, Auburn uh, connection, Tex Morris, and he said, so how does that fit, you think, Malzahn and Plumley?" He says, is that a good fit? He said, no, that's a great fit. Nine and a half, the juice to the under, minus 141, Paul. Well, like you said, you know, John Rice Plumley uh, transfers into UCF and competing with uh, Mikey Keene, who started 10 games last year. I do agree. Uh, I don't think uh, Coach Malzahn's made a, an official decision yet. I think these coaches with the prospect of players transferring out, as soon as they hear they've lost the quarterback battle, these guys are going to try to wait as long as they can. But I think Keen's a possibility. Uh, he started 10 games last year uh, following the season-ending injury to Dylan Gabriel on offense. Um, they're going to have another good offense regardless of who's under center. They've got 132 career starts back on the offensive line. Uh, they have two running backs and Isaiah Bowser, uh, formerly of Northwestern, and Johnny Richardson, who both rushed for over 700 yards last year. Uh, they return a receiver in Ryan O'Keefe, who caught 84 balls for 812 yards. So they got a lot of people uh, back on offense. And last season on defense, uh, UCF made some solid strides. Uh, they gave up just an average of 24 and a half and 369 um, yards per game. Uh, important to note, though, that uh, while that defense did make strides statistically, that the better offenses on their schedule last year, three teams, Louisville, Cincinnati, and SMU, averaged 51 points and 536 yards against the Knights. So certain, uh, certainly something to uh, keep in mind there. They were very active in the portal uh, both ways. Uh, some of the losses, or probably the key loss, was their linebacker Tatum Bethune, uh, who transferred to Florida State, where he's expected to start for the Seminoles. Uh, I don't have a real big opinion on on UCF. I think they're uh, lined on the regular season win total uh, about where they should be. And, uh, you know, interesting game there in week two uh, when they host Louisville. Uh, uh, Bruce, uh, again, the Golden Knights at nine and a half. You know, that, that they've been betting that up because that was at eight and a half earlier in the summer. Um, oh. Plumley is really interesting here, and he is the real X factor. Um, had, had Lane not come in to, to Ole Miss – uh, Matt Luke's last year there, Plumley looked like the guy. I mean, he was very hard to stop. He ran for what over twelve hundred yards. That seems like put that. I know Keen is back, and this gives Gus a nice alternative there at quarterback. But Plumley seems like the perfect sort of guy for him. I'm a little surprised it took Plumley this long to transfer out uh, because Lane was looking for something else. But I think he could be dynamic and could change the trajectory there at, at UCF and really aim it upward. My one concern is they really didn't beat anybody they shouldn't have beat last year. Uh, Boise was down some. They won that game close in the opener. Florida had all sorts of problems in the bowl game. Paul mentioned the defensive numbers were good, much better last year, but they really faltered in the couple of games where they could have used more defense. Cincinnati and SMU both hit 50-plus on the on UCF last year. So I'm not sure, Gus, that record, a little bit deceiving. Um, I'm, I'm not as much in love with 9.5, but I'm I'm not going under because I think Plumley though, this is the X factor in this whole league this year. If he's as good as I thought he was going to be three years ago at Ole Miss, now he gets another chance. I think he's a perfect fit for Gus, and I think he could be a guy to watch. I think he's every bit and even more than Nick Marshall, who got got to Auburn within seconds of a national championship uh, years ago. I think this is a great fit, and uh, I wish I would have got eight and a half, but I'll take plus money and nine and a half. That's one that I really like. I'm projecting them. I, I think they will be favored, a slight favorite against Louisville at home. In late October, by the time we get there, they could be favored in that one. The other ten, they're going to be favored. So this is, you know, the, the road the road trips are not tough at Florida Atlantic, East Carolina, Memphis, Tulane, and South Florida. I like Central Florida over. Let's move on to Memphis. Is this program dipping a little bit, uh, Paul? Uh, Silverfield, 14-10 and 10 in two years. Defense is going to be extremely suspect. They only returned one starter on that side. They gave up nearly 30 points a game. Uh, Over-under is a 7.5, juice to the under at minus 125. You know, since finish uh, since averaging rather 45.5 points per game to uh, finish second in the nation in scoring offense uh, back in 2017, I believe it was, Memphis, they've averaged fewer points each ensuing season uh, for four straight seasons after averaging 30.1 points per game. 
Um, you know, it's not all his fault, maybe, but as you mentioned, it seems like the Tigers have been trending downward uh, since they hired and promoted former offensive line uh, coach Ryan Silverfield uh, to the head coaching position prior to the bowl game there in uh, 2019. In AAC play under Silverfield, uh, Memphis only 8-8. Eight and eight. From our perspective, uh, we like to go to the window, most of us. Silverfield just 8-16 and 16 against the spread as a head coach. And, guys, he is 0-8 against the spread on the opponent's home field as a head coach. So he's failed to cover the spread in all eight road games by an average of 13.5 points per game. So Silverfield's troops have not fared very well on the road. Uh, if that's not enough, you know, they lose wide receiver uh, Calvin Austin, who had back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving seasons. They also lose a good pass-catching tight end in Sean Dykes. So I really don't like uh, what I see. Uh, they do have a, a quarterback from, you know, here in the state of Texas, Seth Hennigan, who's pretty steady, maybe not uh, – a game changer, but certainly serviceable. But all in all, I just don't like see what I see in this this Memphis program, and it just seems like it's going to be a continuation of just a, a slight descent uh, under Ryan Silverfield. I feel kind of the same way, Bruce. How you feel about the Memphis Tigers? I'm glad Paul mentioned that about Memphis on the road because that's been uh, we, we've looked against Memphis a lot away from home the last couple of years. The trajectory has been downward for Silverfield. Paul mentioned no Calvin Austin. He was the first, second, and third option, I think, for Hennigan last year uh, in the passing game. He always looked to him first, and Austin was great. That sort of guy, to have him leave, is going to be a big hole to fill for for Coach Silverfield and for Hennigan uh, in this offense. The defense also slipped some last year as well. So the trajectory is downward. They have some very, very high hopes there at Memphis. Uh, The stadium is there. Everything is in place for these guys. They thought they were going to get the invite to the Big 12. So Silverfield might not have as long a leash as some other coaches might with the same sort of record. I'd watch this situation. If I had to lean one way, it might be under on these guys. Not my favorite under in the league, but uh, I'm definitely not looking over uh, on the Memphis side. Defense also slipped some last year, so they had some issues. All right, and uh, i tell you what, uh, luck is one thing, but that, that Mississippi State win was flukish, to say the least, uh, last year. Um, I'm sure you guys remember that one. SMU is the win total of six and a half. It's juiced to the over at minus 162. And uh, former SMU offense coordinator, Rhett Lashley, comes over from Miami to take over. Uh, they can score, and they can move the ball. Quarterback Tanner Mordecai, 36-28 uh, through the air. 39 TDs, and how about this? Uh, in conference standings uh, statistics last year, they led in scoring at 38 a game. They led in rushing yardage at 161 a game. Led in passing yardage at 304 a game. They led, of course, they're going to lead in total yardage as well at 465. Lashley uh, inheriting quite an offensive unit, Paul. Yeah, this is one, you know, that it is juiced heavy uh, there at Bet Rivers to minus 162 on the over six and a half. But I like this SMU team to win at least uh, seven games. You did mention that uh, the new head coach uh, there on the Hilltop, first-time head coach, Rhett Lashley, who was previously uh, offensive coordinator there at SMU, uh, most recently uh, the offensive coordinator the past two years from Miami, Florida. He also worked uh, under Gus Malzahn as offensive coordinator at uh, Auburn. So he and uh, UCF's head coach are quite familiar with one another. You know, as one might expect with the coaching change, a lot of movement through the portal. I think it was pretty much a wash uh, if somebody labeled SMU maybe as a slight net winner in the in the portal. I wouldn't quarrel with that. They've got two quarterbacks. Obviously, the proven quarterback, uh, Tanner Mordecai, uh, second team all AAC last year, passed for over 3,600 yards, uh, 39 touchdowns against just 12 interceptions. But I think maybe, you know, with the first-time head coach, they want their guys to be on the field and maybe it was not just an all-out um, total quarterback competition, but I think they gave Preston Stone a uh, opportunity. They gave him a chance. Mordecai is the starter. He's the proven commodity. But I think Stone might get some action uh, at some point as well. The one thing Mordecai won't have this year is he won't have two big-time receivers, wide receivers and Reggie Robertson Jr. Uh, and Danny Gray. Those guys combined for almost 4,000 career rushing yards and 39 receiving touchdowns there at SMU during their 
uh, careers. They also lose their uh, pass-catching tight end, uh, Grant uh, Calcaterra. So significant losses at the receiving positions. Uh, defensively, SMU uh, has not been that great. They've really struggled in the secondary. Uh, be interesting to see passing teams like Maryland and UCF and Houston, uh, what they do against the Mustangs secondary this year. Going to be some high totals there. Looking at their non-conference schedule, they open on the road uh, at North Texas. They're about a nine-point favorite in that game. They then host uh, FCS Lamar before traveling to Maryland, where I project they'll be about a four-point underdog. And then they host TCU in their final non-conference game, uh, a game that I project around pick. So if they split the Maryland and TCU games, uh, come out of uh, non-conference at three and one, they do play three teams in AAC uh, on the road that I project to be in the lower division, Tulsa, uh, USF, and Tulane. So I think that's favorable to over players on SMU. Uh, they're going to be favored in all three of those road games. I think SMU wins at least seven games uh, in Rhett Lashley's first season as head coach there on the uh, hilltop. So over six and a half, minus 162 there at Bet Rivers. Yep, uh, Paul uh, Roberson, uh, outstanding receiver, and Danny Gray already making his mark, catching a long bomb from uh, from uh, uh, San Francisco uh, quarterback. The name draws or the, the the new starter draws draw a blank right now against the Green Bay Packers. So he caught the uh, up the left sideline the other day. They do play the three toughest teams uh, in the conference in Central Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston, and uh, Trey Lance. By the way. Uh, uh, Maryland and TCU. Bruce, is this the toughest schedule uh, in uh, in the American that's kind of keeping this uh, this total down a little bit at six and a half? Yeah, I mean, there were sevens out there on SMU early, and I think people bet this down, and that's why six and a half, you got to lay that bigger price. But I think Paul might be right. Six and a half, you could see a little value there. Seven, I wasn't quite sure as much. The schedule is dicey. Um, and you're right, Maryland and TCU, and TCU is going to have be loaded for bear because they lost to these guys last year in the Metroplex War. Danny Gray, I mean, we saw him, that, like you said, that long touchdown from Trey Lance last week against the Packers, so they have to replace him. Mordecai is back. It seemed like we've been hearing about Lashley for a long time as a head coach in waiting, back from when he was with Gus and, of course, the recent years at Miami and those years he had at SMU. So this was going to happen for Lashley at some point. I think this is probably a pretty good fit. One thing about Sonny Dykes when he was there, their trend was to start fast, and then fade late in the season. Uh, the Mustangs lost four of their last five last year, and they were really looking like they were flying at midseason, and then it all sort of fell apart late for them. So that's something that Lashley's going to have to try to turn around. We'll see how some of these transfers fit in. But he does have Mordecai back. Uh, and Paul mentioned Preston Stone. It's never a bad idea to have two quarterbacks you could count on there, and I think Stone might be somebody to get some snaps as well. But at 6.5, I could see a lean to the over here. I'm not loving laying that big a price with it, but uh, – Seven, I was a very noncommittal. Six and a half, I could maybe see going over, sure. All right, let's look at the two-lane green wave. Uh, it was supposed to be Willie Fritz's best team that he's ever had in his sixth season last year, Uptown New Orleans, but it was their worst at ten, two and ten. It started with Hurricane Ida. It moved them, displaced them to uh, Alabama. It moved. They were actually going to host at Yeoman Stadium, the Oklahoma Sooners, and they gave Oklahoma all they could handle. Things looked good, but it did not happen that way. They did lose five, five one-score games. They didn't win any of those. So uh, how much of Ole Miss and Oklahoma being off the schedule helps a little bit as well. But Willie Fritz now in his seventh year, and he's he's respected, uh, Paul. But uh, Tulane, get a pass for the displacement of Hurricane Ida. Also a lot of uh, coaching friction. He uh, he purged a lot of the staff. The Greenies at six. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the regular season total is about where it should be. Uh, Willie Fritz is a guy who uh, kind of earned his stripes or his name uh, in, at Sam Houston State in Huntsville, just down the road from where I am here in East Texas today. But, uh, you know, I, I would think pa patience might be running a little bit thin. You mentioned the Oklahoma uh, game in the in the opener that they, uh, you know, they had the Sooners at least on the ropes. And then after that, I believe they beat Morgan State uh, in one and one after two games. And it was just totally downhill from there. Uh, as you mentioned, the, the close losses last year, they were negative five in what uh, we call net, uh, net close losses, games decided by seven or fewer points. Uh, they do have 18 returning starters back, though, nine on both sides of the ball. They've got a third-year starting quarterback in Mike. Michael Pratt, who is Michael Pratt, excuse me, 
losing my voice here again, uh, a guy who's, you know, shown spurts. He's thrown for almost 4,200 yards in his first two years there, uh, completed 56.5% of his passes, 7.2 yards per attempt uh, with a 41-16 to touchdown to interception ratio. And he's got some uh, weapons on offense for sure. Uh, one of the most notable of those running back, Ty J. Spears, uh, rushed for over 860 yards last year, can also catch the ball uh, out of the backfield. So, uh, you know, the, the green wave, I think it's a critical year for uh, Willie Fritz there in New Orleans. Um, sometimes the close losses that they experienced last year can regress back to the mean. So certainly supporters of the green wave uh, will be looking for that regression. But I think, again, the, the regular season win total lined at six. I think 500 is about right on the mark. So I'll pass on Tulane uh, in their regular season win total. Bruce, you think the wave is going to bounce back a little bit? I think they might. If you can find five and a halfs out there, I might look at that over. I, I would be willing to give Willie Fritz a mulligan for last year uh, because you mentioned Hurricane Ida displaced this whole team for a month, and that ended up causing it you know, partly to do with some of the friction they had with the coaching staff. He made some moves uh, on his staff, but Fritz had been a pretty consistent, if not a big winner, a solid 6-7 win uh, coach and Paul mentioned how he won at Sam Houston. He also won that year at Georgia Southern when he was there. So I think Fritz has got himself a track record we can go back on here. Mordecai was also hurting some last year. He hurt his shoulder in the first game against Tennessee, against Oklahoma, I'm sorry. And I'm not sure he was 100% all year. Still, they were in position to win several more games last year. The difference is going to be this defense has to step it up. They really were leaky last year, especially against the past. I think a pass, I think it's telling that Coach Fritz kept Chris Hampton as defensive coordinator, despite purging all of much of the staff and the fact the defense had some struggles last year, but he still sees something in Hampton. And I think the combination of, if, as long as no hurricane hits, Jimmy, let's keep our fingers crossed. We don't get a hurricane down there again. Yeah, Paul, uh, I was uh, that same hurricane night, and I came back to some uh, house damage. But, I mean, I was displaced at Circa in Las Vegas and Del Mar. So, you know, that was <laughs> that was tough. I had to grind that one out, Paul. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to Tulsa. Uh, 20, uh, um, won, the last, won the last four games of 2021. Schedule is lighter. Uh, with four of their losses last year were two ranked opponents. Um, Oklahoma State, and some good ones, listen, Oklahoma State, Ohio State, I mean, the uh, Fiesta Bowl winner, the Rose Bowl winner, uh, college football representative Cincinnati, and Houston, a 12-game winner. Um, a line of scrimmage team on, I'm, I'm sorry, they, it, Tulsa is the win total. I'm not showing one here. What, what are you showing at Tulsa, Paul, right now at Bet Rivers? Uh, Bet Rivers, I believe it's five and a half. Uh, okay. Juice to minus one thirteen both ways. Okay, what do you think about the hurricane? Well, you know they've got a fifth year starting quarterback in Davis Brin. Uh, he's returning actually as the starter for his second year there. Uh, they do lose some um, key pieces on offense. Quite a bit of uh, their weapons or skill position folks. They lose a, a thousand yard rusher in uh, Brooks. They lose a thousand yard receiver in Josh Johnson. They also lose four starting offensive linemen, uh, the most notable of which I believe was Tyler Smith, uh, the first-round left tackle selection, I believe, of the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL draft. So they've lost some significant folks. They do get uh, Keelan Stokes back, a uh, receiver who's had a great career there uh, at Tulsa, over 2,500 career receiving yards. So he's back from injury, so that's a positive. Um, but, you know, it's just the, the five-and-a-half, that number – uh, seems about right to me. Uh, they do, again, have some significant losses uh, on offense, so I, I don't know if they're going to average the 27 points a game that they averaged last year. Uh, they have a pretty manageable – I say pretty manageable, maybe not uh, – they've got two probably potential wins uh, at home in non-conference, Northern Illinois, although that will be could be a tightly uh, contested game. And then Jacksonville State at home as well in their second and third games of the season. They begin the season at Wyoming. Uh, and then in week four, they uh, travel to Ole Miss before playing Cincinnati on October 1st in their uh, conference opener. So I don't really have a strong opinion on uh, on Tulsa. Some of these teams, you know, you kind of take that wait-and-see attitude and see how the new pieces gel together. And that will be uh, my position with the Golden Hurricane. 
Bruce, how do you think about the Golden Hurricane? I think if you can uh, find five and a halfs out there, I, I might lean to the over a little bit. Uh, that non-conference schedule, before, it's it's manageable. Uh, they they could be three and zero heading into the Ole Miss game. However, I mean they could lose to Wyoming and Northern Illinois as well. So I think we'll know a lot in September. What concerned me a little bit about Davis Brin is proclivity for interceptions. A little few too many last year. He's one of the leading guys in the country with picks sixteen. But like you said, I mean, some of those losses last year, they were close. I mean, they, Cincinnati, they had a shot to force that game into overtime. Uh, Oklahoma State, they were leading that game deep into the fourth quarter. They were not embarrassed at Ohio State last year. And Philip Montgomery has won some in the past there. When he has had the horses, he's been able to do it. We'll see how the offensive line gels. He's got a couple of transfers he's going to have to plug in there. Sometimes you can fill in there quicker than a lot of people think with the departing starters. So we'll keep an eye on that. My concern here, the defense played much better last year. Uh, the coordinator, Joseph Gillespie, though, left uh, to join Sonny Dykes down at TCU. And Gillespie had been there for several years. So this is going to have to be something uh, Tulsa is going to have to uh, figure out here defensively, uh, losing their coordinator. Are they going to be able to step up on the defensive side? Because they weren't that bad last year. But I think, you know, Montgomery's track record is not that bad. And I Five and a half is a number I could see. I could lean to the over if I had to do something. It is there. five and a half at uh, Bet Rivers right now. Let's move along to East Carolina. Head coach uh, Mike Houston in his fourth year has transitioned the Pirates into a line of scrimmage team. Seven and five in last year. And, well, they had some uh, wild ones. They won some close ones of uh, four games. And then they, they had some close losses as well. Lose by three to uh, South Carolina, four to Central Florida. And overtime to Houston. And a blocked field goal, blocked field goal, scoop and score for Cincinnati really kind of opened that one up. That game was more than competitive uh, in uh, in uh, East Carolina in that one. Total is six, Paul. Yeah, and one thing, I, and not not to go backwards, but one thing I was remiss in not pointing out about Tulsa, they had one of the most significant losses uh, to the transfer portal of any team in that conference and even in the nation. Defensive tackle Jackson Player. Uh, returns to his hometown of Baylor, and he was an absolute beast on the line uh, there for Tulsa last year. Uh, had uh, 10 tackles for loss, seven quarterback hurries. But looking at uh, East Carolina, this is a team I see them, uh, their win total at Bet Rivers at six, juice to the over, minus 125. I think that's about right. Uh, they did stop the bleeding last year uh, under uh, head coach uh, Mike Houston, who won a FCS national title. Uh, back in 2016 there at James Madison, stopped a string of six straight losing seasons last year, going seven and five. But in the spirit of full disclosure, I think you always need to look at the games they won, who they beat, so forth and so on. Their five conference victories last year were against the league's lower division teams. Those teams that East Carolina beat in conference, they finished league play with a combined 9-31 and 31 record. Uh, their only non-conference victory uh, against an FBS team uh, was over Marshall. In that game, they allowed 647 yards to the Thundering Herd, even though they won. Uh, now to the bright side, I mean, they do return a quarterback, uh, Holt Naylor's, who's played a whole lot of football. Uh, he started 37 career games there for the Pirates. Is thrown for over 10,000 yards, 69 career touchdown passes. So they are very well set at quarterback uh, with a guy who can also run the football there. Uh, Mike Houston, again, as we mentioned previously, uh, came over from James Madison now in his fourth year. Uh, by this time, he should have his program, uh, his systems, his recruits fully in place. Uh, so you might expect them to, uh, you know, hopefully make some noise if you're an East Carolina fan this year. They also, on the bright side, they return a 1,000-yard rusher in Keaton Mitchell. Uh, they do have to, though, again, they got to get better on defense. Uh, I think they have enough talent on offense and will see enough improvement on defense to certainly not win the American Athletic Conference. But I think they could sneak up on somebody and maybe have a say in who does win the conference. Bruce, you, you, you agree, and some football people think that uh, Mike Houston is doing this uh, without gimmicks and doing it very soundly. Uh, seven starters back on both sides of the ball. They were bowl eligible for the first time since 2014. COVID canceled their bowl game last year, and a rarity for them. They have seven home games uh, this year. Um, you uh, have some confidence in the Pirates as well. 
Yeah, if you get a six, I definitely definitely look over. And uh, the trajectory here is good. I mean, I think it's it's good to win close games. Listen, a couple of those games at Memphis, they won that game in overtime. They they at Navy, those weren't easy games uh, to win, and they won those. And they they handled U, U, USF and you know and Temple and some of the teams that they outclassed. And they were close in most of those losses, and they were playing with Cincinnati last year. Holden Aylers is sort of a poor man's Tim Tebow. Same sort quarterback, big, rugged, lefty. He can run, and he gives them a real dimension at quarterback that a lot of teams wish they had. Uh, defensively, they've got starters back on all three levels. Uh, they can tighten up a little bit on that side, but you can tell the trajectory is very good. And you mentioned the schedule. That is an important game in the opener. I mean, they're, they might be setting a trap for NC State there in Greenville. They get them at home. The next three games are also at home. So I think at worst, they're probably 3-1 and one coming out of that first month of the season. And uh, they can compete. And I was really impressed. The Cincinnati game was a very deceiving score. They were right there with Cincinnati and had a chance to keep that thing very close deep into the fourth quarter uh, before the block field goal and the scoop and score. They're legit, and Houston has won before. Paul mentioned he won at James Madison. I like coaches who have proven they can win before, and the trajectory is just up there. Everything is pointing towards East Carolina over. This is one of my favorite overs in the country, actually. It is a six at Bet Rivers, so uh, everybody agrees. The Pirates are on the uh, uptick in uh, favor that over there. Let's go to the uh, – the, the, you talked about Navy a little bit. Back-to-back losing seasons, uh, this was such a – a, uh, a consistent program for so long. But how about the schedule last year? I mean, 11 of the 12 teams they played were bowl teams. I mean, that quarterback Levitai, he was in and out of the lineup last year. With injury, he is back and plenty of defensive players back. They should be improved. Their total is four at Bet Rivers, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love college football, and I, I love it. I love to watch the playoff and the big games, but I love the service academies and the lesser conferences, so-called lesser conferences as well. And, and it's disappointing to see a team like Navy kind of slip back a little bit. And, and to be blunt about it, you, you know, I think it's primarily because they just hadn't got the same kind of production, running production out of their quarterback the last several years. They are 4-13, and 13, their last 17 games straight up. Uh, so they have they have indeed struggled, and uh, they've got to get better in the option running game, no doubt about it. Uh, defensively, a team like Navy, a service academy, they're already at a um, disadvantage, typically in the secondary, in the back four from an athletic standpoint, having to cover wide receivers. Uh, the AAC, there's some teams in that conference like to throw the ball. Navy loses both cornerbacks, so that's a little bit uh, problematic there. Uh, they're a team also that lost their three-time all-AAC uh, linebacker there, uh, Fagat. He led the uh, the middies in uh, tackles for three straight seasons. So I don't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, I think the number, uh, I think it's four uh, at Bet Rivers. There's some four and a half out there. I don't really have a strong opinion either way. Um, I just don't see a whole lot of reason for optimism uh, there in Annapolis. But at the same time, uh, I'm not bold enough to want to go under. But they're going to have to get better running the football, period, uh, and most notably at that quarterback position if they're going to resurrect that uh, program to the uh, positive periods of the recent past. Bruce, you think that Navy uh, may improve a little bit this year? Yeah, and I would give them a little bit of a mulligan from the last two years, especially two years ago. Let's just throw out 2020 completely. They didn't have any offseason. The COVID impacted uh, the academies and Navy more. I mean, they, they, they hardly had any practice before they started the season, and that was a reduced season. So throw that season out. Their numbers rushing were way down that year. But like I said, let's throw out 2020. 2021, they got the running game going a bit more last year. They got back in the top 10 rushing, so they did pick it up some last year. Paul's right, though. I mean, some concerns on defense there. They lose both their cornerbacks in this league. That is kind of a concern. But, um, like I said, I think there was – and you got to remember, too, Navy – I mean, the portal exists for a lot of these other schools there. It really doesn't exist much for Navy. They're not getting guys in. They really can't. It's very hard to get a transfer in there. They're not playing that game like some of the other schools. However, I think Niamatololo deserves one more chance here. He has won enough of his, in his career. Lavatai started to look better in the offseason, and I really, late last season, and I really like a team that wins its last game big like that. The win over Army was a little bit unexpected last year, but that sort of thing can really lift a program up. And they said Lavatai looked like he had a better command of the offense in the spring. If he can give them serviceable work at quarterback, they're going to have they're going to be running the football again, and they are the ultimate team that is the change of pace. But the schedule, 
every year, though, they're going to be playing Air Force, Army, and Notre Dame. Uh, so that is a tough non-conference slate. I don't know if they can get much above four, but because Niamatololo has won so much in the past there, and he's got a quarterback there who has some experience, I would lean to them getting to at least five this year, so I would lean a little bit to the over. Yeah, uh, probably the uh, toughest schedule uh, in the conference. Uh, talking about uh, rough times, uh, South Florida, Jeff Scott has only won three games in his two seasons uh, in Tampa. The offensive line is back, a total of uh, 136 starts, but you got to look uh, you got to look really deep to find some positives about the Bulls. Uh, the uh, uh, Paul, how do you see South Florida in Jeff Scott's third year? Well, this is one of my favorite uh, regular season win totals, not only in the AAC, but all of college football uh, this season. Uh, their total at Bet Rivers under four uh, at plus money, plus 105. You can find quite a bit of uh, under four and a half, though, out there in the marketplace. But you mentioned Jeff Scott, uh, the former Clemson offensive coordinator, now in his third season there at uh, South Florida. And they've got a lot of players back. They're one of the most experienced teams, not only in the conference, but in the nation. A lot of players back, a lot of people expecting positive strides for the Bulls this season. They did uh, welcome Jerry Bohannon, uh, who played a lot of quarterback last year for Baylor, uh, splitting time with Blake Shapin there. When Shapin was announced as the starter in the spring by Dave Aranda, uh, Bohannon transferred to South Florida, and he was announced uh, as the Bulls' starting quarterback uh, about a week ago. So he'll be there. He'll give them a little bit of a – uh, an extra dimension in the run game from that position as well. It's important to note, though, the Bulls just 2-10 and 10 last year. One of those victories was over FCS member Florida A&M and the other over a Temple team that dropped its last seven games last year uh, by a whopping average of more than 34 points a game. South Florida just 4-31 and 31 straight up its last 35 uh, games against FBS opponents. You look at that non-conference schedule, they're going to host Howard in week two, an almost certain victory, uh, but they have a home date against BYU. They have road trips uh, to Florida and Louisville uh, in those other three non-conference games. Outside of Howard, I only see South Florida being favored one other time at Temple this year, uh, and that means it's probably going to need, especially if you get the four and a half, they're going to need to pull off maybe three outright upsets as the betting underdog uh, to get the money and to win more than four games. The Bulls are going to be better, but they're not going to be that much better. Uh, so I like the Bulls to go under the total uh, this season there in the AAC. Bruce, you agree with Paul on the under here in the Bulls? Absolutely. And here's what I don't like about a, a, a team like USF. They didn't compete in a lot of games last year. I mean, they're a lot different. I mean, look at what Navy did last year, how they're fighting these teams down to the end. These guys got blown out, and they have yet to win a road game under uh, Jeff, under Coach Scott the last uh, two years. Again, maybe a little bit of a mulligan for 2020, and they had some off-field distractions there in Tampa that, that threw that thing off track. But I don't know that Scott's a real leader. They have not won a game on the road. They lost six games by 15 points or more last year. They just stopped competing too much. So uh, that's why even with all these starters back, he has gone into the portal. The defensive line has got a lot of new transfers in there. Paul Stone mentioned Bohannon coming in there from Baylor. But the culture there is not good. They're just not competing enough. And that schedule, besides the game against Howard, like Paul said, it's very, very dicey. I don't see them getting – I don't even see them getting two four wins. Scott's in trouble. Hey, it was very easy to look good at Clemson when you're the offensive coordinator and you got those NFL guys and you got Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. It hadn't worked here, and I am bearish actually on the Bulls, so I would look under in Tampa. And finally, uh, speaking at the bottom, the lowest uh, win total: the Temple Owls, three and three and nine straight up, and two and nine against the spread. So no schedule break this year with Cincinnati, Central Florida, Houston all on the schedule. Uh, Paul, you. Think more of the same for the Temple Owls in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the, the best value really in these regular season win totals historically is to go against teams who only are winning one and two games a year because I think the market naturally shades them up a little bit. Uh, Bet Rivers has the under three, uh, you know, heavily juiced to the under at minus 148. But I just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident Temple's not going to win four football games this year. I mean, last year they got outscored about 37.5 to, to 16.5 points a game. Uh, they've got a first-time head coach in Stan Drayton, who hasn't been in this position before. Uh, 
you know, their offense last year ranked 110th or, or worse uh, in just about every uh, of the major categories, uh, scoring offense, uh, total offense, rushing offense, and passing offense. So really a, you know, a lot of ground to gain uh, there offensively and defensively as well. Uh, I see them uh, in non-conference, not a really difficult non-conference schedule. Uh, they begin the season at Duke of the ACC. Then they play FCS Lafayette at home. They host Rutgers and they host UMass. Even if they split those and go two and two, which is, you know, a likely scenario, they're going to be an underdog in all eight of their conference games. They're going to be getting uh, six or seven at home against U USF. That's going to be the closest line, the only game that I believe they'll be less than a double-digit underdog uh, in conference play. Temple just simply has a long way to go. They lost, talking about being non-competitive, they lost eight games last year by 24 or more points. And in those games, uh, the Temples, uh, the Temple Owls, in those eight games that they lost uh, by 24 or more points, they only averaged 6.5 points per game. So it's just one of those situations where even if there's a personnel upgrade and even if they're a little bit better, uh, the gulf is so great between them and most of the teams in their league. I don't see them winning four games. I really don't see them winning three games. Uh, so under three minus 148 at Bet Rivers for Temple. All right, we're running out of time, uh, but uh, here we go in surmise, to surmise that uh, Paul likes Temple uh, under three, uh, SMU over six and a half. In uh, uh, South Florida is one of his favorite plays in any conference, not just the American, at under four plus 105. There are some four and a halves out there if you want to go that route. Brucey, both you and I like Cincinnati over the nine and a half. You also like over Tulane, uh, the, uh, the Greenies at six over East Carolina kind of agree with that one a little bit as well. I think we all had a positive tone talking about the Pirates and uh, fourth-year head coach uh, Mike Houston. Uh, so them over, uh, Pirates over uh, six, Navy over four. You agree with Paul at South Florida under. I've got, as I said, Cincinnati over nine and a half. Central Florida, let loose John Reese Plumley uh, over in Orlando. Uh, I think Malzahn's going to have a lot of fun with him over nine and a half and under Memphis. That is just a sliding program right now under the seven and a half. Paul Stone, Bruce Marshall, I'm Jimmy Ott, Sports Betters Paradise. Great stuff, guys. We appreciate it. We'll see you back soon here on the Sports Betters Paradise, part of the Bet Rivers Network YouTube channel.